when you understand the wonder of His love and the fullness of His grace, you really won't mind sitting beside the crazy relative on Thursday. You won't, because the Lord will be the unseen guest at the table. And that is why we are thankful people. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today we bring to an end our series of studies entitled Contagious Church, and today we are finishing this study with Contagious Thanksgiving and so we break into chapter 1 at verse 3, and you'll find it on page 1831, 1831 of the Church Bible, Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell, and he's writing to encourage this young and vibrant church in Colossae. And so he writes, verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God, to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And we ask that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. As we move into Thanksgiving week, I wanted to try a fairly brief Thanksgiving survey. So, choir, I need your help this morning. Please raise your hand if you can say yes to any of the following uh, questions. And congregation, I need you to do the same. The first question in the survey is, will you travel to be with family and friends at Thanksgiving? Survey says 47.5 million people will travel for Thanksgiving, and most of them on Wednesday afternoon. So just be careful. Number two, will you have turkey as part of your Thanksgiving meal? 
Yep, survey says 48 million turkeys will be disposed of on Thursday. And then eaten on Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday as well. So 89% of us will have turkey. Will you watch the Macy's Parade on television? 50 million people will watch the parade on Thursday. Will you be watching football? 63% of the nation will be watching football, and an average of 20 million viewers per game. Will you shop on Black Friday? <laughs> you would rather spend the $20 than get up at 4 a.m., I understand. 92.1 million people will shop on Friday. Uh, less than 1% are here this morning, but we'll see. <laughs> Do you expect to gain weight over Thanksgiving? <sighs> 4,500 calories, according to the Calorie Control Council, will be taken by each individual on Thursday. 3,000 in the meal and 1,500 in the snacks and nibbles. And here is the last question for the survey. This year, will you once again refuse to sit beside that one crazy relative that no one else will sit beside? <laughs> On the other hand, it may be that you are the crazy relative. <laughs> Thanksgiving is a time for lots of celebration, lots of fun. And so as we bring our serious, contagious church to a close this morning, it seemed appropriate and right that we turn to Colossians 1 and look at contagious thanksgiving. We have said contagious church is a place of grace. It's a place that is life-giving. It's a place that is life-affirming. But ultimately, it's a place of engagement with God. And how does thanksgiving fit into our spiritual life? Well, the Apostle Paul in Colossians makes it pretty clear that it's up towards the top of the list. And as we go further and further into Colossians this morning, I hope we'll see that. Notice how he begins verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's epistles, you know that he often begins his letters with a word of greeting and also a word of thanksgiving and then a prayer. But this is not a prayer that is simply courteous or a prayer that is conventional. It goes much deeper than that. And he begins writing to this young, vibrant, growing congregation. Congregation he's heard of, he's never visited. And in writing to the church at Colossae, he's heard great things. He knows a little about them, but he wants to encourage them. And he's writing them to say this. Now, when you come into contact with the gospel... And when it impacts your life and transforms you, with that comes a particular lifestyle. There are things you will do and there's things you will not do. 
And he's encouraging them to make prayer one of the main priorities in their life. And he's saying, modeling for them what prayer should look like, and he's encouraging them to live for Christ day by day. But he also peels back for them a number of layers that allows them to see what is the secret of growth in the spiritual life. And that's why he writes, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Now think of how encouraging that would be for the folks at Colossae. The Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison cell. This comes from a series of epistles, a series of epistles called the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians is in there along with Colossians. And Paul is about to go on trial for his life. But at no point does he highlight his own situation. The very opposite. Because Paul could easily sit back there writing his epistles and saying, pray for me, things are tough here, it's worse than I imagined, pray for my health, the food is bad. None of that happens. Because Paul understands this, that in his relationship with Christ, his priorities become about others first. And so he writes, we always thank God when we pray for you. And we're continuing to pray for you. How exciting would that be? A small church in a very rural scenario, and the apostle Paul is writing to encourage them. And it's a prayer of thankfulness, because Paul understands this. And we see it throughout Scripture that when our relationship with Christ is one of intimacy, gratitude and thankfulness is never far behind. And Paul models for us right here in this prayer this biblical truth that is central and cardinal if we are ever to grow in our faith, and it's this, that thankfulness rids us of cynicism and skepticism and criticism. It takes it away because we no longer focus on what is going wrong and what is falling apart and why things are not working, but we focus on what God has done for us and is continuing to do for us. And that's the very focal point of this prayer. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. And then he jumps down, verse 6, All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. In all its truth. And you may be here this morning or watching on television or listening on the internet, and you're saying, well, Richard, that's easy for you to say from a pulpit on a Sunday morning. But if you had gone through the last few months in the way I have gone through them, you wouldn't say that. Thankfulness is not at the top of my list. It's not something I'm enjoying at the moment. It's been one challenge after another, after another, after another. 
And if that's you this morning, please hear this. And remember, where is Paul writing from? A prison cell. And he is able to say, we are grateful to God for you because we hear great things. But it's not just that we hear great things. Notice what he says. All over the world, this gospel is growing and bearing fruit just as it has been doing among you. And here it comes. Since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. And let me encourage you this morning. If over recent weeks and months you have wandered in your prayer time, and it's been a long time since you opened up the Scriptures and prayerfully spent time with Him, let me encourage you to do exactly that this week as we move towards Thanksgiving on Thursday. Read this passage again. Father, remind me, explain to me, make clear to me, please, your grace in all its truth. That will move us to thankfulness. That will move us to joy and worship and adoration. Because when we understand grace in all its truth, we understand this that while we wanted nothing to do with him, the living God, at that point he reached out into our lives and transformed us and saved us and drew us to himself and gave us a relationship with him. That engenders gratitude to be forgiven. Every sin every motivation, every desire, all changed. You become a new creature in Christ. You are born again. That's what the Scripture means. And when you begin to realize all He has achieved for you, you see grace in all of its truth, in all of its mercy, in all of its forgiveness, in all of its sustaining strength, and all of its enabling peace and joy. That brings thankfulness. That's the point Paul is making. And no wonder it rids us of cynicism and criticism and skepticism. And then he takes it, a step further. And verse 9 to 14 is one of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture. It is absolutely spectacular and magnificent. And it's almost as if Paul doesn't have enough time to write down what's going on in his heart and mind and soul. It just comes cascading out onto the parchment, and the Holy Spirit does what? He takes it and breathes life into it and turns it into sacred Scripture. The Apostle Paul cannot write quick enough. He is moved and moved profoundly by all that God is doing in the life of this young church at Colossae. And what we discover here is this, that he almost doesn't pause for breath. There's almost no punctuation in his words and he is deeply, profoundly moved to a place of unvarnished, intimate prayer. And it's right here. A prayer beyond being courteous or conventional. A prayer that is, is accessible and warm and gracious. And notice what he writes. He writes ten separate things he is praying for. Look at it with me. 
Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we first heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. That's the first thing. We've not stopped praying for you. And then he says in number two, we're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you may please Him in every way is number five. Number six, bearing fruit in every good work. Number seven, growing in knowledge of God. Number eight, being strengthened with all power according to number nine, His glorious might, so that you may, number ten, have great endurance and patience. And number eleven, and joyfully. And number twelve, giving thanks to the Father. What a prayer! What a prayer! And how does he begin? We have not stopped praying for you. We've not stopped. We may be out of mind and therefore out of sight, but we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. If I had asked you this morning an hour ago, as you were coming to church or in the midst of a Sunday school class, what is the number one prayer request on your prayer list this week? What would it be? For your children, grandchildren, situation at work, someone you know is terminally ill perhaps, you've struggled with some disappointments over the last five or six months. Are these some of the things that would be up there? I suspect yes. But here is Paul's we're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What a prayer! And you may be here saying, Richard, that's exactly what I need. My husband is terminally ill. We don't know how many months he's got to go. I can't stand sitting there watching him die. If ever I needed spiritual wisdom and understanding, it's now. That's exactly what I need. Father, help me, sustain me, strengthen me. Give me your presence. Give me your grace. I am broken, and I don't know what to do or where to go. Maybe this is a prayer for you this morning. At the 8.30 service, I went in to pray with the choir around 8.20, and we had the Resonate Prime Choir with us this morning. They are, some of them, probably somewhere between 12 and 18 years old. And when I asked them, how are, how are things going? They said, yeah, not bad. And I said, well, tell me what you're getting up to. And about five or six of them said, we're applying for college. And I thought, whoa, this is exciting. And said, well, tell me, how is it going and what's happening? And are you excited and can't wait to see what's coming? And they said, no, it's dreadful and awful. They said, we're being dragged around one college after another, and we don't know which one to choose. And that's tough. And then I said to them, as someone who spent 14 years in seminary, it can be a lot of fun, but it's not always a lot of fun. And then I became a little more serious and said to them this, God already has in mind His purpose and His will for you. And He knows which course you're supposed to be on. And He knows who your professors will be and what papers you need to hand in. And He knows who your roommate will be. 
And he will watch you grow and develop and mature, not just educationally, but psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And your job is to follow him, and he will make it clear. That's what Paul means to this young, growing, contagious church at Colossae. And he's saying to them this, we, are at, we have not stopped praying for you, and we are asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through, and notice it, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And there are moments in your life where you long for all spiritual wisdom and understanding when the big issues have to be determined. College, marriage, children, grandchildren, promotion, moving house, moving state. Big questions. But he can be trusted in the middle of it. And what the Apostle Paul is also saying here is this that prayer for him and prayer for the folks at Colossae has to be a priority in our contagious Christian life, or we're going nowhere. No prayer, no power. No prayer, no guidance. No prayer, no leading and directing. No prayer, no intimacy with him. None. Because please understand this, that if there is no prayer, He will not powerfully work in your life, because your growth and development and appetite for the things of God are directly proportional to your relationship of intimacy with Him. And when you are tempted to give up, and you've been walking the Christian road for 25 or 30 years, and this morning you are able to say, Richard, it has been the toughest six months of my life, and I'm ready to stop. I'm ready to give up. I have just been fighting, 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 and I'm getting nowhere. I am facing significant challenges that lie before me, and the more time and effort and energy I invest, it's going nowhere. I'm fed up trying. Maybe this morning is the time to stop trying and start trusting. Father, I can't deal with it, and I'm leaving it now with you. You ever broken a leg and the cast is on and it goes on and on and on and on and you're fed up and ready to move on? The young athlete, the young musician, who hour after hour after hour after hour continues to practice, 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 gets up at 5.30 and 6.30 in the morning and goes to the gym spends evenings playing the piano when others are out having fun because character and resolve and perseverance is often fashioned and shaped in those isolated moments when there's no parent around to say, well done. There's no coach to say, keep going. That's when you dig deep 
And the folks at Colossae were facing significant challenges with false heretical teaching. And Paul is saying to them this, I am praying for you and I will not give up praying for you that God would what? Fill you with the knowledge of His will so that you would have all spiritual wisdom. And we pray that you might live a life worthy of the Lord. About three weeks ago, I was flicking through television channels, and I came across a documentary on the singer Glenn Campbell. Glenn is struggling with Alzheimer's. He is pretty much bedridden these days. It was a superb documentary. And his daughter, who's 25 or 26, said almost at the end of the documentary, she said, when I go out at night with friends, the last thing he says to me before I leave the house is, Be careful and live for the Lord. Be careful and live for the Lord. Glenn Campbell would be the first to tell you he's not always lived for the Lord. In his late 30s, early 40s, life was not good, and much of it was his own fault. But over the last 30, 35 years, there is a changed person right there with a living, growing faith, living for the Lord. And in the midst of all of that, thankfulness plays a significant and dominant role. And we pray this in order that you may know the will of God, that you may live a life according to the Lord and please Him in every way. And then finally, verse 11, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you may have endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. As we move towards Thursday, fathers, grandfathers, let me challenge you particularly this morning that when you gather around the dining table on Thursday, and you put your hands out to hold family and friends, and you pray for each other, it is your job, your responsibility, as a spiritual head of the home, to say, Father, thank you for your goodness and your love, your patience, your perseverance, your enabling grace, and your strength. Thank you for all that you have given us since we met here this time last year. Lord, it has not been easy, and some of the folks who were here are no longer here. But we thank you for your grace in our lives. Father, strengthen us, enable us, sustain us, enable us to be thankful people focused on you and you alone. Because when you get to that point, when you understand the wonder of His love and the fullness of His grace, you really won't mind sitting beside the crazy relative on Thursday. You won't. Because the Lord will be the unseen guest at the table. And that is why We are thankful people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. 
And this morning, as we bring to a close our worship, we ask that you would indeed enable us to be thankful people, thankful for your goodness, thankful for your grace, thankful for your patient endurance with us. And we ask that you would strengthen us, please, to walk with you this week. Father, hear our prayers, for we bring them to you in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If you're interested in membership at First Presbyterian or want to learn more about our church and denomination, join us for our next First Look class on Sunday mornings. Register by calling 235-0496 or email us at contactus at firstpressgreenville.org.